is, well, what do you think about Adam and Eve? And they want to know. And it's true. And it was true. All the, when I was teaching in Crawley, every RE lesson, do you think Adam and Eve were real people? What do you think about this? It's a really fundamental story. And in fact, a few weeks ago in the Friday Fellowship, the question came up again. And he said, is it a story that's literally true? I said, well, we've been exploring this over the last few weeks. And home groups have started to sort of explore the idea that Adam and Eve were representatives amongst many other people. Okay? So if you haven't got the house group notes, get them, because it helps explain. Otherwise, you've got difficulties with Genesis chapter 4, right? Who was Cain going to marry, and who was he building a city for? You've got to answer that question. However, is it literally true? And I say, well, actually, the truths in it are absolute. The things it says are true. I don't understand or necessarily get my head around the whole prehistoric history of man, but there are truths in there that I would absolutely say, this is what we are like. These are really important things. And I said a few weeks ago, our problem isn't that we know too much, we know too little. So it's a fundamental question, isn't it, uh, about understanding our place in the world. And, and, and we're going to try and sort of touch it uh, today and, and get some sense from it. And hopefully, um, I'm not going to avoid it. We need to tell the story, don't we? That, you know, God said, what, oh, Adam, what have you done? Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the snake. And the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that one. can't believe that. Did you never know that joke? Who had never heard that before? Oh, I should have made more of it. Right? <laughs> anyway, right. So and let's just get into this and see what we can take from it. Don't know if you know, uh, yesterday Paul McCartney was headlining at Glastonbury, uh, an amazing uh, set list, uh, he played for hours, and in a recent interview, pre in a preamble to this, it was brought up that yesterday, when it has the most cover versions of any song ever written, something like 1,600 recorded covers of his song, Yesterday. And in an interview about that song recently, he said, he pointed out that a lot of the great artists who've covered it, in fact, most of the artists who've covered it have changed it. That included Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley, who've covered that song, and they've changed it. Because there's a line in there, isn't there? I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. Sinatra and Presley and many, many others included this line instead. I must have said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. Fundamental difficulty to accept that I could have done something wrong. It's, it's a bit like apologizing to somebody and saying, well, I'm sorry I made you feel like this, and ignoring all the behavior that led to it. There's something about the human condition that just wants to not admit what we're really like. Um, G.K. Chesterton, a famous Catholic uh, writer, uh, entered a, a, an essay competition run by the, uh, the Times in the early 1900s, and the question was, the essay title was, what's wrong with the world today? And Chesterton is, I don't know if he won the competition or not, I think he did, but it was a one-sentence reply in his essay. Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am wrong with the world. What a fascinating thing to be able to say. It's an important um, demonstration, isn't it, of that realization of what we can be like. I'm going to ask Jill to see if we can put up a little image. Um, if you got the church news this week, you should have had this little painting. 
Anyone got that? That was on the church news on Friday. Anyone got a foggiest about what it might be? Yeah, yeah, the hum tells me everything, yeah. Okay, so this is a painting called Adam. It's about Adam. Can we tell why that might be? On the, left, on the left-hand side, we've got this dynamic, slightly fuzzy, on the one side, strip or zip of red paint, okay? And on the opposite, on the opposite side, is this kind of much thinner line of the same hue of red, so it doesn't look as bright because it's thinner, but the same hue of red on the other side, and it's, it's sort of acting as a boundary. There's something beyond it. And in the middle is this crooked verticalish line. In fact, when Jill, I sent it to Jill and she wondered if it had been copied properly. <laughs> but what does it tell us? Well, the artist who painted this in the 50s wanted to get across the idea that there's this, there's this red line on the left is, is God bringing order to the chaos, which is why it's kind of crackly and, and, and along the inner edge. Can you see that? And then there's this thinner line on the opposite side, which is that threshold, that how close, you know, there's this little boundary between us and what lies beyond. And in the middle is Adam, upright figure, straight, standing up, but not quite right. In fact, slightly crooked. Song, literature, and art all tell us about what we are like, what we can see, how our hearts play out. They capture the sense of our misdirection and our failing, our, our dishonesty with ourselves. And that story is here too, in, in our most, one of our most sacred uh, stories. And it's here to tell us a, a few things about what we are meant to be and what we're really like. Now, we, we talked, Mike talked really well last week, thank you, uh, about this idea that we were made in the image of God, which, which was a really important thing to get across because God has made all of us in his image. In the image of God was normally a title set aside for the king of a country or the king of a land, but God has made us all in his image to be his representatives, okay? Representatives, not delegates. Delegates can only do this and that. They only can do what they're told, but representatives are given this greater authority and freedom. And into that story, God adds into that, to those people, his representatives, he gives them this wonderful purpose and chose them to be his people, to, to bring the rest of creation to be as the Garden of Eden was intended. And so the story curiously begins with the serpent. We might ponder the will of Almighty God in choosing ordinary people uh, to give to be his representatives, but we've got a really difficult question, haven't we, about this serpent. Who is it? What does it represent? What are the things that come with it? What's it like? Well, perhaps later on in the Bible, we get some clues. In, in Isaiah uh, 14, the prophet there has, has a vision in which he describes the fall of some figure to, from heaven to earth. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, Lucifer, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, 
I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. A figure who is at war, contending with God, not not happy with being a created being to enjoy this creation, one who wanted to dominate it and take it for himself. In fact, later on, he says, Isaiah points out that the thoughts behind this figure are, I will make myself like the Most High. So Adam and Eve, these representatives, encounter and engage with this figure, Lucifer, the accuser in Hebrew, Satan, the bright morning star. And it's that wrestling match that I think we all find ourselves in, isn't it? It's this picture. Like Adam, we live somewhere between the creation and that boundary of the divine, of godly uh, power and experience, don't we? And Adam and Eve are having that moment now pretty intensely because everything that they've been brought to believe and and understand and been given is now being questioned. And so the two things I want to think about today, our liberty and the power of lies. Our liberty and the power of lies. Liberty is about how we're going to use our freedom. I don't know if you've ever heard the Bible sort of being referred to as a rule book. Have you used that phrase or expression? It's a rule book. I don't know if that's a helpful phrase or expression. I don't know how you felt if somebody said that to you. You think about it. Even the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. They can sound quite harsh, can't they? But is that better or worse than a list of things telling you how to do absolutely everything. You must do it like this. We have a rule in our household. I think I'm okay to share this one. But Catherine can tell me when to do something or how to do something, but never both. Okay? (laughs) It's just how life is. You know, I I meant to do it, but I didn't. But if you have a... Do we want a God who is prescriptive and expects us to second-guess his intention every time? Or do we want a God who's just saying... These are the boundaries, don't cross those. Which is actually easier to live with? Which is better? It's an interesting thing because I think our human nature is that we like to go to those boundaries. There was an experiment in a college in the, in the States and they acquired some more land. And, they, um, and it was normal for the students to sort of hang around as far from pos- as possible from the administrative center of the college. They would hang around at the fence. And then they acquired land. And so they expanded the fields. And, of course, the fence moved. And where do you think the students went? To the extent of the fence. They didn't want to go beyond the fence. They didn't want to be near the center because that would make them look nerdy and swatty. But they didn't want to be near. They just wanted to know where the boundaries are. And I think by saying, thou shalt not, God has given us quite clear boundaries. We see in the text, don't we, in Genesis, that God has given us great freedom. Genesis 2 tells us man was placed in the garden to work it, and every tree but one was for their food. I give you dominion, but this is the boundary. I give you freedom, but this will hurt. This has consequences. And those are the things that we sometimes need to reconcile 
in ourselves. I have liberty here. How can I best use it? And I believe firmly that God is absolutely committed to us developing and growing in that way. One of my favorite verses, I've got two of my favorite verses in the Bible in this chapter, uh, and, and one of them in this little section, and one of them is about that God wanted Adam to name the animals and came to see what he would call them. There's no right or wrong, there's no prescription. He just wanted to see what we would make of it. That's that creative liberty uh, that we've been given. He didn't say, Adam didn't go, oh, there's a, there's a tall thing, I'll call it a giraffe. And God was like, uh-uh, no, no, I don't want it to be called that. He wanted to see what we would do. He wanted to know what it would be like, how we would handle it. So our work, our place, our liberty gives us creativity, creative possibilities and imagination, ways in which we can think of doing new things. And thank goodness for that. Otherwise, we'd just all be recycling all old ideas over and over again, wouldn't we? And I think the nice thing about a boundary is we all know, well, maybe we do, we all know when somebody else has crossed a line, don't we? And we should, therefore, recognize when we've crossed a line, don't we? You can put your hands up if you're good at both. Yeah, one or two people are good at both. Well done. Thank you very much for being honest. Yeah, we tend to spot what's good in... You know, so, oh, they went too far today. I'm going to tell them and give them a piece of my mind. And, of course, we've crossed the same line. But we know what those boundaries are. We're supposed to know what their boundaries are. David's prayer in Psalm 51 was, Give me the wisdom to understand. Help me to know what is good and what is right. So we have this wonderful, creative opportunity, this life where we can change and influence the world for God's goodness, and we've talked about that, but it comes with a boundary rather than a prescription. Are we happy with that? That Our liberty comes with boundaries rather than the list of to-dos. But the second thing that comes out in this story is very much the power of lies, and that's where we see uh, the power, if you like, of evil. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Questions, serpent, Satan, questions what God really said. And then he reframes the commandment. What was now presented as freedom is presented as a restriction. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did we spot that when Mike was reading? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Where was that? The power of evil is to make us question and, and, and give us an alternative version of things which makes God look harsh, uncompromising, and strict. And there are some issues over which he certainly is. But what's at stake here is just understanding what God is really like. We should spot the lie. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, he didn't. But then the woman replies, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Well done, good. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Also good. But then what comes? And you must not touch it or you will die. Where did the must not touch it come from? Where is that? What's that about? What is it in us? that says, oh, I'm going, to add a, I'm going to add a restriction here. Is it for our own protection and our own safety? Is it a misunderstanding of what, was it, what the intention was? 
I mean, if we're being sort of really sort of base level about it, if their job's to tend for the garden and fruit falls from that tree, are they not allowed to move it away? Put it somewhere? The whole thing has been added to. I wonder, I wonder what we're like when we want to, when we're wrestling with something, and we know what's right, but I wonder if we sort of twist it or bend it or, or how, we, how God appears to be in it. I wonder if we make God seem harsher and stricter or the penalties worse. Because the new prohibition that Eva's added is worse than the command of the freedom that God had given them. Those prohibitions have come from the serpent, who is evil, and Eve, who seems to have forgotten. And then, added to that, an intoxicating lie. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How we reinterpret things, how we look at the opportunities, how we're tempted to experience more so that we might understand more, so that we could be more like God. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we sometimes allow ourselves to do stuff or say stuff or get involved in stuff that's outside of what we're comfortable with, outside of what God has given us, but we allow it so that we can say we've experienced it. I know what that's about. I understand these issues. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? We sometimes allow ourselves to bend or step over a line so that we can say we know more. And then Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I mean, he's with her, let's not blame Eve. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And the deed was done. The, br- the boundary is breached. The hole is open. The water floods in. A whole new world, a whole new difficulty is, is now there that these representatives, the people who believe and trust in God, also realize that they're wrestling with evil and temptation and difficulties and sin. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were only necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. We have that wrestling match all the time. That could be our heart monitor. It, vast, it goes left, it goes right, it goes boundary, it, gets, it goes crooked. That's what we can be like. And so what shall we do? What then can we do? It's very tempting, isn't it? I'm not sure sometimes those answers are help. I know that there's been a bit of feedback about these sermons, about how do we, how do we sort of say, well, what shall we do? Well, well, this is about thinking. This is about how we look at the world. This is about being honest with ourselves. This is about reflecting on what we're really like. I could say, pray more, read more, do more, but that wouldn't solve the problem. The problem is about understanding who we are. You could wear a bracelet saying, what would Jesus do? And that would get you some of the way because it would make you think, what 
What would God do in this situation? Where, where is the representative thing? What would be the representative thing to do? Well, first of all, let's just, just with our thinking, and I'm nearly there, don't worry. Just let's think about, first of all, the battle. In James, James's letter, which is one of the best letters in the Bible, he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when, and when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's first of all recognize that this is something we have to wrestle with. God isn't like fishing stuff out there to see if we're good people or not. He wants us to walk before him and be holy. That's the first thing. Let's get our relationship with God right. These boundaries are given because he wants us to live well. And then maybe when we read the Bible, perhaps, as I said at the beginning, I read this and I see truth in me. Let the Bible read you. We can read the Bible, but read it until you say, you know what, that's me. I'm like that sometimes. Let the Bible read us. And the third thing, I suppose, is to have the awareness, the self-awareness that recognizes this is a difficult situation. This could go really go south. This could go really wrong. What is going on here? What are the things that we find tricky? What's the temptation here for me? Is it to, is it, is it to lash out? Is it, to, is it to, to indulge myself? Is it to seek more power? Is it to belittle somebody? What is it? Is it to get angry about it? Recognizing those things, uh, the potential for those things, because they come here. They're all here. Read Mark 7. They're all in here. All those things are there. All those responses are there. And then if you get to the point of recognizing it, say, Lord, help me out. Would you help me here? What are you going to say about this? What's your view on this? What can I do? Psalm 51 starts with David struggling with things he knows he's tempted to do and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And he pleads to God, help me. So maybe there are three things to do. Romans chapter 12 tells us to renew our minds, think differently. David in Psalm 51 wanted to have a right spirit. He wanted to be thinking the way that God thinks. So that's our first one, our perspective. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's read the Bible and let it be honest to us and say, you know what, this is what you like. You score three out of ten. And be honest about it. But the main thing is to allow God to have that relationship with God because he doesn't want to be far. He wasn't far. He was walking in the evening in the garden in the cool of the day. He was never far away. It's to ask God, help me with this. And then, then we'll see his life take shape in each of us. Amen. Shall we pray? I just thought it'd be good to sit for a moment and just maybe, this, I've said an awful lot. I'm sorry, I went on much longer than I planned to. Um, yes, the second point is not something you want to hear 20 minutes in. Um, but let's be still for a moment, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you want to be with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you want to walk with us. So, Lord, I just pray that you send your Holy Spirit and that he would just show us those things. 
those things, those situations we've got coming up tomorrow where there's a temptation to be powerful, to be abusive, to be neglectful, to indulge ourselves when we could bring your good, your peace, and your harmony. Spirit, I pray that you would be with each of us. Rest upon us, we pray. Pray that you bring your healing from those hurts we have suffered. And Lord, I ask that you would walk with us day by day. Amen.